The church described and imagined as a body is familiar imagery for many of us. Paul repeatedly makes use of that language and imagery in his writings as he talks about the different parts that each of us play in the body of Christ. In today's I am statement, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And in doing that, Jesus imagines the church as something like a plant or a tree. Now within the body metaphor, Paul describes Jesus as the head of the body. And in this vine imagery, Jesus refers to himself as the vine from which all of the branches grow and spread. And while the body imagery points to the variety of gifts and talents present amongst Christ's followers, and the necessity of all the various roles that are played by each part, the vine imagery reminds us of the vast diversity that springs forth from those of us who are connected to Christ. No two branches are the same. And, and our differences are not relegated to the various functions that we perform within the body. Within the same tree or, or plant, there are branches of all different shapes and sizes and colors, each with their own leanings and, and patterns and behaviors. And yet, not only are all of those branches sustained and nourished through their connection to the same vine or base or trunk, they are also all connected to each other through that vine. The vine and branches imagery reminds us that diversity within the body of Christ is the design. It is something to be celebrated, pursued, nourished, and welcomed. As we think about Jesus as the vine this morning, I hope that this painting will serve as, as a visual reminder of the celebration of diversity and variety that is represented in vine and branch imagery. And I want to say a special thank you to Maxine for, for using your gifts and talents to bless the body, the rest of us branches, this morning. So thank you, Maxine. Now, this project obviously turned out incredibly well, but I'm willing to bet that most or maybe even all of us know what it feels like to pour our, our heart and soul and time into a project only to see that project not turn out the way that we had hoped. Early on in my youth ministry career, I made a giant life-size Monopoly game board all across the floor of, of the fellowship hall of the church that I was at. And the game was going to be sort of the centerpiece of this lock-in that I had planned. And of course, in retrospect, hosting a lock-in at all was quite obviously my first and largest mistake. But I went all out for this game. I laid out the entire Monopoly board on the floor of the fellowship hall using those those large rolls of paper that are somehow magically present in every church workroom. I color-coded and labeled all of the landing spots and properties. All of them. 
I made giant community chest and chance cards on, on pieces of poster board. I'm quite sure that I spent more time creating that game than I spent on, on any lesson or class that I ever presented to teenagers. Hashtag priorities. It was spectacular. Unfortunately, what I failed to take into account is that Monopoly is a painstakingly lengthy game to play even when each person is playing on their own, sitting around a table. It is unfathomably boring and slow when each ridiculously oversized game piece represents a group of four teenagers who are just sort of standing around a large, mostly empty room. The novelty of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids nature of the game wore off after about five minutes, which means I lost every teen's attention about five minutes and 30 seconds into the game. It was, in fact, spectacular. It was a spectacular failure. And so we had no choice but to give up and move on to something else very soon after we began the game. Sometimes our projects don't pan out because of some type of mistake, miscalculation, or failure in, in execution or planning on, on our own part. But sometimes, even if all the steps are well thought out and planned and executed, things still just don't work out the way that we envisioned. And so what do we do then? In Isaiah 5, God gives an example of just that type of situation. Through the prophet Isaiah, God describes the efforts of, of a man planting a vineyard. In the story, the man goes to great lengths to set up a vibrant and productive vineyard. He found some nice fertile land on a hillside, and he dug up and removed all the stones from the soil and planted the choicest vines. He built a watchtower and did everything within his power to cultivate an environment conducive for the production of good grapes. And yet, the vineyard yielded only bad fruit. And so God kind of takes this situation and, and, and he asks, what could this landowner have done? I mean, if the if the owner of a vineyard does everything that they can to set up their vineyard for a bountiful crop that then only reaps bad grapes, what can be done with a vineyard? Well, not much, it turns out. In the scenario laid out in Isaiah, God says that you just sort of let it go. Remove the protective elements, let briars and thorns grow because that vineyard just isn't going to produce good grapes, at least not in the way that it's functioning then. And so God then offers this explanation for the story. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. 
God says just as a landowner goes about the work of preparing land to plant a vineyard, so I went about preparing this, this nation of Israel. And in this vineyard, it was the people who served as the vines. In other words, God has set up the nation of Israel, the, the, the people of Judah, so that they have every opportunity to go and produce good fruit. But instead of producing a good crop, instead of producing justice and righteousness, they produce violence and distress. A vineyard in which the people serve as the source of life and growth didn't produce good fruit. And in the context of Isaiah 5, it sounds as if God's response is to, to basically scrap the whole thing. And going forward from there, we can see the ways in which God's statement about the impending destruction of the vineyard is in fact reflective of some things that happened to Israel between that time and Jesus' arrival. Thorns grow, briars invade, and yet God doesn't forget His people. He didn't then, and He doesn't now. Instead of completely abandoning the vineyard, God places within the vineyard a new and better vine. And so with that in mind, let's listen to John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear more fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such as branches are, such branches are picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep in my love, just as I've kept my Father's command, and remain in, uh, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to do so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give to you. This is my command love each other. Repeatedly over the course of that reading, Jesus circles back to this idea of remaining in him. Remain in me as I also remain in you, he says. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So here's a fun fact. The disciples, a group full of experienced fishermen, never catch any fish in the Gospels without Jesus' help. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Even the disciples' fishing trips are, are, are a reminder that Jesus is the source of life. Jesus goes on to say that if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that is not to say that remaining in Christ is, is sort of a ticket to get whatever our heart desires. Remaining in Jesus isn't a cheat code to get whatever we want out of life. Instead, what Jesus seems to be getting at is that when we remain in Christ, our, our hearts will come to desire the things of God. As we align ourselves with Christ by remaining in Him, our wishes become the things fitting with the will of God. Hashtag priorities. The idea behind the remain language is that connections matter. Repeatedly throughout his, his gospel account, John highlights the ways in which Jesus points to his connection and relationship to the Father. And as we saw in a previous I Am statement, Jesus uses that very relationship as a sort of model for what he calls us to pursue in relationship with him. And John also focuses heavily on this idea of remaining in Christ. And those two concepts flow naturally together. The word that's translated as remain here in this version of John 15 is also translated in Scripture as abide or dwell or stay. It has to do with where you are putting yourself, where you are investing yourself. It's a word that is used just 11 times combined in all of the other three gospel accounts. But it's a word that shows up 34 times in John. That is by far the most usage in any book in the New Testament. The second most uses is 18 times. And you may be able to guess which book that would be. Any guesses? That's right, it's 1 John. Or you could have been wrong. I have no idea how or if you even answered. But it's another book written by John. John seems to want us to pay attention to this concept. And for Jesus, all of this stuff about his connection to the Father and our connection to him, all of this stuff about remaining and abiding and dwelling with Christ comes down to love. So Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, there's that connection, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. For Jesus, that's what all of this is about. In fact, that's where this very conversation started a couple of chapters earlier. You may remember from our last lesson that, that this is part of a larger discourse that, that began with Jesus telling the disciples that he was about to leave. And the first thing he tells them after he talks about leaving is this. A new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And now the disciples, understandably so, they just get hung up on this whole Jesus is leaving thing, which is what we talked about last week. But what Jesus is really wanting to talk about, what he's getting at, is is the importance of loving each other. That's the first and most important thing that he wants them to hear as he begins to give them what, what basically amount to some final instructions and teachings. And as he goes forward in this discourse, I think what he begins to lay out is this idea that, that we are only able to love each other fully when we are abiding in Christ. And when we remain, abide, dwell, stay in Christ, God's love that is flowing through Christ flows through us and empowers and equips us to love others. This is why Jesus as the vine is such important imagery. He provides us with the strength, the humility, the perseverance to produce good fruit, fruit that is rooted in love. His love fuels us and equips us to selflessly love others. And Jesus says that when we do that, not only do we produce good fruit, but we also experience the fullness of joy that is available in relationship and connection with Christ. And so in verse 17, Jesus ties it all together in very simple and profound fashion. This is my command. Love each other. May those around us see evidence of our connection to the vine this week in the ways that we love each other. At this time, I want to invite you to pray our prayer of confession with us, and then we will share in a time of reflection, meditation, and communion as we remember God's love for us expressed in Christ, as we remember Christ's selfless love that he consistently shared with those around him and with us in his life, in his death, his resurrection. And may we be encouraged to love others. Let's pray. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, Renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew our resolve to build build the kingdom kingdom of peace. peace. 
may we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.